welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. So we're back here talking about one of our favorite things today, and that is the moon. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) And today our lunar love is really pulling out all the stops Um, as we record this. I think the moon is basically coming to fullness. Um, And last night I was walking home and I had to just stop on Bedford Avenue which is just also not advised <laughs> to do here in Brooklyn, but and I had to say hello to the sky. Yes, and I also love a good full moon walk, and it just feels so fitting to record an episode today dedicated to lunar lore. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you are new to the podcast, we did a moon magic episode in season one, Um, I believe it was episode 16, where we talked about how to use the moon for spell work, um, lunar planners, our moon signs, the emotional tides that are tied to the moon, moon goddesses. I think I also touched on lunar gardening. Mm -hmm. What am I missing, Kate? Yeah, we also talked about werewolves and shapeshifters, plus a little bit of word witchery. Yeah, so if any of that stuff interests you, episode 16 is worth a listen. But there is still so much more to talk about when it comes to the moon. So, Kate, what sort of moon lore is on your mind today? So today I want to talk about a moon that grows here on Earth, Datura, or Moonflower, as some of you may know it. And what about you, Kristen? Well, not surprisingly, I'm thinking a lot about the moon in folklore and mythology lately, just all the different tales, because as we know, there are so many. Let's do it. So I thought it might be fun to start with a story today. This one isn't on the Magic and Alchemy blog, but there is a version of it in Love Stories of Myth and Lore, authored by myself and Kate, which is available on the Teamed Wild website if anyone is interested. Yes, I love love stories and also love story time, and so I'm going to drink my coffee here and wake up and listen to you, Kristen, if that's all Amazing. right. <laughs> Sit back and get comfortable, Kate, also listeners. This story is called Chang'e Flies to the Moon. It's a Chinese folktale with many different versions, but this is one. During August's full moon, two lovers unite, Hu Yi and his beloved, the moon. Before she was the moon, she was Chang'e. Together, she and her husband served the great sky emperor, And they were great at their jobs, so good that over time, their colleagues turned jealous and decided to get them fired. They told the Sky Emperor that Chang'e and Hu Yi were planning to overthrow his empire, 
and without a second thought, he dismissed them, banning them from heaven. For whatever reason, the couple didn't argue with the emperor's decision or inquire why they were fired. They just left and came down to earth. But earth was really boring for these former celestial beings, so Chang'e just sort of hung around, watching the sun pass overhead, and Hu Yi practiced archery, his greatest passion. But one day, something interesting finally happened. Chang'e noticed it was way too hot, and when she looked to the sky, there were two suns, not one. A couple of seconds later, a third appeared, then a fourth. By the time Hu Yi came around to see what his wife was yelling about, there were ten suns in the sky. Everything on earth was getting scorched, animals, plants, the soil. It was even hard to breathe. So, the fact that there were 10 sons wasn't surprising to Chang'e or her husband because they used to work in heaven and knew that this was the norm, but the emperor was only permitted to allow one son per day to cross from east to west, never two and definitely not 10. But luckily, Hu Yi had his bow and arrow, so he shot down nine sons, leaving just one in the sky. The emperor was so grateful for remedying his mistake that he sent Hu Yi a gift, the elixir of life. However, there was only enough of the elixir for one person, and Hu Yi didn't want to take it because he loved his wife so much and knew that one day she would eventually die, and he wanted to be able to follow her into the beyond. So he asked Chang'e to hold on to the elixir for him. You know, he doesn't want to insult the emperor by not drinking it, but at the same time, he's just not sure if that's what he wants. So Chang'e hides it, but word gets around, and so all these people come asking for the elixir. They always send them away, but one day, while Hu Yi is out practicing archery, one of his students goes to the house and tries to steal it. But Chang'e is home, and they get into this battle. And either because she's afraid the guy is going to kill her, or because she knows that with immortality comes great responsibility, and you know she doesn't want it to fall into the wrong hands, she ends up drinking it. The robber realizes he's now fighting a losing battle, so he takes off running out the door right as Hu Yi arrives home. He sees his wife floating skyward because now that she's immortal, she's being called by the heavens. In some versions, Hu Yi is mad at his wife and thinks she drank the potion on purpose because she was greedy or something. But I like the version that says he was heartsick, but also so proud that his wife would do something so selfless. He sees drinking the elixir more of a sacrifice than a gift. But like I said, his sadness is visible and Chang'e doesn't want to leave him. Luckily, the moon had just started its journey across the sky as she's floating towards the heavens. And so Chang'e grabs onto the moon and promises to never leave. That way, she can still see her love. They say she built a palace out of moonbeams, which is imagery that I love, and was able to watch over her husband until his dying day. And before he died, Hu Yi told everyone the story of Chang'e and her sacrifice, 
So each August during the Mid-Autumn Festival, people offer blessings, light incense, and make mooncakes for Chang'e. Kristen, that's a beautiful story. And also the celebration that goes with it sounds equally beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, this is probably one of my favorite moon stories. I don't know if it's because I'm a sucker for the true love trope or Mm -hmm. just because this tale feels so different from the Celtic stories from my own lineage um, and yours as well, Kate, that we so often talk about. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, Even though this story is unique, when I did some research on the Chinese Mid-Autumn Festival, which is when you're supposed to honor Chang'e, you see similar themes when it comes to agriculture and why people honor the moon at this time. From mandarinmatrix.org, quote, The Mid-Autumn Festival has thousands of years of history behind it, with the earliest form of moon gazing dating back over 3,000 years ago during the Zhao Dynasty, from 1045 to 221 BC. Ancient Chinese emperors would worship the moon every mid-autumn, believing it would bring them a plentiful harvest the following year. After seeing the emperors worshiping the moon annually, the custom became popular amongst the masses and only grew with time. During the Tang Dynasty from 618 to 907 AD, the upper class would hold big parties whereupon they would join together and appreciate the moon in droves. Though the Chinese have been recorded worshiping and appreciating the moon since 1047 BC, it would be another 1,700 years before the Mid-Autumn Festival would be established during the Northern Song Dynasty from 960 to 1279 AD. Since that very first recorded Mid-Autumn Festival, it has become a tradition to give offerings to the moon. End quote. According to the same website, the moon represents togetherness, unity, and family, which is why people gather to feast with their community during this time. Giving one another mooncakes was a sign of longevity and resilience, but they might also offer wine or tea. And even today, if for some reason people can't get together with friends or family, they will send cards or letters or gifts to their loved ones to let them know they're thinking about them. Um, I really want a mooncake recipe, please. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I actually came across quite a few, so maybe maybe I'll add a link for one in our show notes. Awesome. When it comes to magic or working with Chang'e as a goddess or archetype, she is said to help in the areas of love, specifically when it comes to choosing a partner. Because of this, she's often associated with domestic issues and also the number eight, as the Mid-Autumn Festival takes place during the eighth full moon of the year. According to Chinese culture, the number eight is the luckiest number there is, so people will often work it into important dates. You know, they might choose to get married on the eighth or do their taxes at eight o'clock, whatever it takes to get some extra luck on our side. In numerology, eight is associated with achievement, balance, and giving back. Again, thank you for that, Kristen. It was really what I needed to hear today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm sure others will feel the same. But 
Today, I wanted to share a little bit about moonflowers, also known as datura, which also go by the name of jimson weed, among a few others. And I think about them a lot when I think about moon magic and moon folklore because, to me, they are truly moons here on the earth. I know that I've spoken a little bit about Datura um, in our Hecate's Garden episode and in a few other episodes, um, and I also wrote a piece on poisonous plants for magic and alchemy, but the reading and the research I did for today's episode dives a little bit more into moonflowers overlaps with the moon and with liminal spaces, as well as shares a bit more about folklore behind Datura's relationship with humans. Datura is a plant I've had a long relationship with, and so when I think about my relationship to the nighttime, especially a summer's night, kind of like I'm longing for right now, I can't help but think of Datura. I'm going to share some stories and ceremonial and historical uses of Datura, but before we begin, you know, I know, it's essential, I tell you here, not to ingest Datura. It is toxic. Folks do die occasionally. And so, yeah, please be safe, friends. But the solanaceous genera contain tropane alkaloids, um, scopolamine, hyoscamine, and atropine um, in them, which is what makes them toxic. Um, And a hospice worker is quoted in one of the books I'm citing here in this episode as saying that sometimes we give atropine to lessen the death rattle. And Daniel Schulk calls tropanes time eaters. So very powerful stuff. Um, In his book, Natural Magic, published in 1558, John Baptiste Porta um, includes a number of recipes both for sleeping potions and madness potions using datura among other plants. And he wrote, quote, After these medicines to cause sleep, we will speak of those which make men mad. The business is almost the same. For the plants that induce sleep, if they be taken in a larger proportion, do cause madness. Which I can't help but think of like the overlaps with moon and lunacy, much like we talked about in that last episode, Kristen. Mm -hmm. Um, And Georgia O'Keeffe writes, quote, There is a great mystique surrounding Datura. Just how much mystique depends some on where you grew up. An old friend from Barstow in the Mojave Desert told me, yeah, I once beat a guy up who sold me Datura for marijuana. Some of the mystique is just from the fragrance and pungency of the plant and the seductive curls of the flowers, end quote. I would have to say that another element of that mystique comes from their blooming late in the day into the summer evening as if the moon itself, and the Datura's sort of Pied Piper calling to open those curls, much like its own silver body does. I found a retelling of a Zuni legend that talks about Datura from the book Plants of the Gods, and for the Zuni, Datura is really central to the relationship with rain and um, is used to call forth rain in the arid desert. So here it goes. In the olden times, a boy and a girl, brother and sister, lived in the interior of the earth. But they often came to the outer world and walked about a great deal, observing closely everything they saw and heard and repeating all to their mother. This incessant talking did not please the divine ones, the twin sons of the sun father, 
And on meeting the boy and the girl, the divine ones asked, How are you? And the brother and sister answered, We are happy. They told the divine ones how they could make one sleep and see ghosts, and how they could make one walk about and see a little and see who had committed a theft. After this meeting, the divine ones concluded that the siblings knew too much and that they should be banished for all time from this world. So the divine ones caused the brother and sister to disappear into the earth forever. Flowers sprang up at the post where the two descended, flowers exactly like those that were worn on either side of their heads when visiting the earth. And the original plant now has many children scattered over the earth, some blossoms tinged with yellow, some with blue, some with red, and some with white. And these colors belong to the four cardinal points. There is another Taoist legend that says that Datura is one of the circumpolar stars. The envoys to earth from these stars carry the flower of the plants in their hands. Datura has been used in India for ceremonies and channeling and, and seer-like celebrations. There is the tuft of Shiva, and in imagery, Shiva is often seen carrying Datura. So Shiva remains in divine intoxication, um, and Datura there, thorn apple, is um, called also the crown of Shiva, and it's believed to have emerged from Shiva's chest after he drank the poison produced by the churning of the cosmic ocean. So its leaves and fruit are offered to Shiva on special days. I found a story in Talash, Flying Herbs in the Witch's Garden, about a cult of Kali worshippers in India who used Datura to stun their victims before strangling them, and then the corpses were offered to Kali. Apparently, um, in this story, the British decided to put an end to this cult in 1830, and they arrested 3,000 people, with about 400 of them then hung and murdered. And so some say that this was a witch hunt, which is obviously mm. a tragedy. Um, and Datura has been drunk with, you know, wine for celebrations, and other parts of the world has been used as an aphrodisiac. And some stories even whisper about the Oracle of Delphi smoking Datura before giving prophecy. In Mexico, Datura has been used as a salve to relieve pains and swellings and has been employed to bring ease in childbirth. Datura has been used by muggers to slip into their victim's drink, and it has even been used in exorcisms. So, much like our celestial friend, the moon, moonflowers can send us messages from the liminal spaces. The Chumash and other nations in South Central California will sometimes seek support from what they call dream helpers and use a decoction of Datura root to drink to support the connection with these spirits. In Dale Pendle's Pharmacognosis, quote, Much of the art of working with Datura is what I call dimensional smuggling, learning how to bring back the knowledge to your waking state. Maybe you are dreaming, maybe you have drunk some Datura, or maybe you are just dreaming. Or maybe, as the Chumash do, you have fasted and swallowed live ants. The cases are the same. It's always a question of going further, and maybe not being able to remember what you have already seen, or waking up, and maybe not being able to get back where you are. You have to learn this for yourself. End quote. All this makes me want to see if I can get some seeds here and incorporate 
this plant into a magical or devotional garden. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, Kate, how do you work with Datura in your practice? Yeah, you know, like I said earlier, please don't ingest the plants. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, like you're saying, there's a lot of really beautiful ways to build a relationship to Datura. So you might think about planting a lunar garden. Um, and you spoke at length about this in the last moon episode. Um, but kind of tending to these plants cyclically, paying attention to how and when they bloom, maybe even sitting with them under the light of a full moon. I think that would be a really beautiful mm-hmm. practice. Um, there are a lot of talented herbalists who make balms and salves and essences that can be used you know, topically or in meditation. And these can be used for easing wounds and bumps and bruises of all kinds. Um, you know, I've also just kept a seed pod before on a windowsill that I found um, as a reminder of that sort of moon magic. They're all over Brooklyn, which when I moved here, I thought was the strangest and most perfect thing. But I think that one of the most, you know, sacred and special things to me about the moon itself is how it reminds me that we're kind of this orb spinning around in space. And it reminds me how we're connected to that space. You know, the moon Mm -hmm. pulls the tides, it casts a glow during the dark of the night, and we can feel its waxing and waning presence in our own bodies, in our birth charts, in our cycles of creativity, and in our own ceremonies. And I think that Datura reminds me of these lessons similarly, growing up from the earth to remind us of our own ancientness, the fragility of life, and the messages from those who came before us. I think that Datura teaches us that death and dreaming are intertwined, and much like listening to the lessons of the moon, lessons and messages from Datura are messages that we must learn to hear for ourselves. That's all the time we have for today. So thank you, Kate, and all of our listeners for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at East and Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at Tamed Wild, or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where we talk about planetary magic and the lover's year with a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it, so mote it be or something better. Until next time.